0: Hello, I'm Jim Lippy, and this is a Connecting IT Podcast. Welcome to the Connecting IT Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Lippi, and joining me today is Linda Rose, CEO of m and Advisor and Rose Biz. Linda, welcome.
1: Jim, thank you so much for having me on.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. So uh, Linda, for those that don't know, can you please provide a little background on yourself?
1: Sure, so for really for the last oh, 25 years, I was a Microsoft partner, actually the Microsoft channel. I had both a ERP CRM uh, consulting practice, and then I also started a cloud infrastructure practice where we hosted applications, including Exchange. And this was all before Office 365. So I spent 25 years doing that. Along those lines, during that time frame, I also started a staffing firm. And again, all of these companies were started out of the request of my client base. So I didn't like get up one morning and go, oh, let me host some applications. It was actually at the request of a client.
0: Right, that's always the best way to start a business. Um, so you've been in the channel for a while. You're familiar with MSPs. And you know one of the things that caught my eye about what you're doing right now is the M&A side of the MSP business. So I know you've done a survey uh, to uh, MSP buyers. So I'd love to delve into that and some of the findings.
1: Right. So when I sold my business in 2017, I actually sold it to a private equity firm that actually had just acquired an MSP. So they basically folded in my cloud hosting company with their existing MSP, so that that was their original acquisition, and then they just tucked us into that organization as well. So my team right now is managed by a managed service provider, uh, so to speak. So that happened in 2017. I thought I was gonna retire, and I kept getting calls from other partners saying, Hey, you know, you've sold two companies now over the last five years because I sold my first mm-hmm. company in 2013. And then I sold this the cloud service provider in 2017. So partners will call me and say, Linda, you know, you've done this twice now. Can you give me some advice? Uh, I'd love to pick your brain, like some expertise, because obviously MA has been incredibly hot for the last five years. And so, you know, I was somewhat limited in being able to discuss my own situation because of my NDA and because of my non compete. So, what I decided to do was actually interview other sellers and other buyers and put all of this information into a book. And uh, those that know me really well also know that I'm not necessarily a writer, I'm an accountant in a formal life. So, I turned from an accountant into a technologist. But I spent about 18 months putting together a book that came from a CEO's perspective, because a lot of times you read M&A books and it's always from a broker's perspective or an attorney's perspective or an M&A advisor, but there's also notebooks specifically that spoke to MSPs, VARs, ISVs, SIs, you know, all those people that sort of make up technology service providers. And it was actually one of your former guests, Jay McBain, who had an article back in I think it was about October of 2017. So this was just right after I sold my company, and one of the quotes in his article, he mentioned that 40% of the channel would age out by 2024, and I thought, wow, this guy is so right because you know mm-hmm. when you go to conferences you kind of look around and see the age of the people in the room and there are quite a few people that you know are probably in their 50s and some people that are even older than that and so mm-hmm. that quote that's metric of 40 percent aging out by 2024 seemed very realistic to me and i also realized that after selling three companies i made a ton of mistakes and i wanted to share that knowledge so i sat down interviewed People that had sold in the last 24 months. I also interviewed the buyers and I said, you know, what's important uh, when you look at a technology service provider? And more importantly, for the people that sold, you know, what were some of the mistakes you made and what would you do differently? And I was able to wrap that all up in my book called Get Acquired for Millions. So it touches not only on MSPs, but VARs, SIs, ISDs, CSPs, you know, all the acronyms I think that we're used to hearing.
0: Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, that's fantastic. So one of the things, because I know, Linda, you follow our podcast, you know that we've talked about M&A a a, a couple different times. And to your point, we we talk about it because it's a huge trend that we're seeing in this space. And at Gusea, one of the things we want to do is we want to try to help our MSPs navigate uh, the M&A landscape at this point. And you know, whether they wanna be a buyer or a seller, uh, we wanna make sure that we're giving them all of the, the uh, information they need to make some informed decisions. So we know based on you know, our findings in, in different surveys and, and talking to uh, our customers, you know, what people are looking for, but I'd love to get some of the findings you know, that you've taken from your conversations uh, with some of these folks.
1: Sure. So, of course, we're all in this pandemic right now. And one of the things that I kept seeing were surveys uh, done by different brokers uh, about, you know, what the current landscape is with m and It was really hot. And now it's slowed down. And, you know, looking at those surveys in more in depth, again, I realized that these guys were surveying all business across all industries and all sectors, and they weren't necessarily businesses that were less than say 25 million in revenue. These were much larger companies. And as we all know, many IT service providers have actually fared fairly well during COVID. I mean, some people have definitely had a downturn with some of their clients, You know, depending upon what industries and verticals you serve. But I've talked to a lot of MSPs who have either maintained their revenue level because they had a high amount of recurring revenue to begin with, or some of their existing customers have come to them and asked for additional services. So I really wanted to find out what our space is all about and what buyers are thinking about in our space. And here's kind of what I found out. First of all, when you look at the buyers in our space, they're kind of grouped into two different groups. You have your private equity firms, which are fairly new to this this revenue range, when I, talk, when I talk this revenue range, I mean less than 10 million. Prior mm-hmm. to maybe three, four years ago, you would not see a private equity firm come into a market where revenue was that low, but now we see it all the time. And then we also have our strategic buyers, right? Which is kind of our competitors or other people, other MSPs, would we'll call those our strategic buyers. And so those are our two different buyers and they're acting very differently right now in this COVID environment. I'm finding that most of the strategic buyers are kind of putting a little bit of the brakes on because they are trying to conserve cash as much as possible. And even the ones that have a lot of cash, they're, you know, none of us know how long this is going to last. So everybody's sort of in that cash conservation mode, not to say Mm -hmm. that they're not making acquisitions. They're just trying to do it to do it with as little cash as possible. On the other hand, we have private equity that still has anywhere from 1.5 to $2 trillion of dry powder sitting on the sidelines that they have to invest. So they're the ones right now that are more active in our space. And Mm -hmm. believe it or not, they're making acquisitions of companies less than $5 million because they're taking those smaller acquisitions and tucking them into potentially a larger acquisition that they've already made. So even though we're in this very unusual time and a lot of surveys out there are saying that M&A has died down, it has, but by no stretches, it died down completely. As a matter of fact, from a, from a private equity standpoint, you know I must get uh, an in-person phone call at least once a week and countless emails throughout the week. Uh, from private equity firms that know me and have asked if I've got anything new coming on online because they're interested in making acquisitions. So, mm-hmm. you know, that then begs the question. is like, okay, well, is this the right time for you as an MSP? And and should I wait until times, times get better? Or do, you know, do I think about selling now? And I really think that depends on how well your revenue is doing. If your revenue is maintaining itself, or better yet, if your revenue is increasing during these difficult times, I would say for sure, if it's increasing, I would, and you were considering uh, doing an acquisition or more more specifically selling your company, I think it's a great time to do it. Because you're proving to a buyer that you are a very viable organization going forward. And that's what buyers look for.
0: Yes, definitely. And I think one of the other things that makes MSPs really attractive right now to private equity is the ability, because of the recurring revenue stream, the nature of recurring revenue, is that you're able to also borrow money against it. One of the things that I find that, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions around how private equity deal, private equity deals go down. Let's just say a uh, MSP or any company gets bought for, let's just say it's $10 million. And a private equity company coming in and, and uh, buying that organization. They're not going to spend, you know, all that money. They're not going to come in and just write a check for 10 million. They can, right. Because of the revenue stream that MSP is producing, they can put down $5 million of their own money and they can then raise debt against the business. And the business will pay off the debt on an ongoing basis, but they've only spent 5 million of actually cold hard cash. Right. So again, you know, one of the things that I think MSPs need to understand is ultimately how some of these buyers from the private equity side, how they actually do deals and the architecture of a deal uh, because that can be very helpful in, in understanding how to position their business on a go forward strategy. I excuse me, on a go forward basis. And that again, and we preach all the time at Kaseya, your recurring revenue, you know, is your most important asset. And Linda, one of the things you mentioned earlier on is that, you know, companies that are faring well throughout COVID are the ones that have the best recurring revenue uh, ratios, right? So 70, 80% of their total book of business is recurring. The organizations that were essentially, you know, only 30, 40, 50% recurring revenue and relying on projects and hardware for the other 50% or so, Those are the ones that have really struggled because projects and hardware really fallen off a cliff during COVID. So all really important points, Linda, that you bring up. And hopefully our MSPs listening to this podcast on a continuous basis um, uh, are, are picking all this up.
1: Right. And I think we've been talking recurring revenue for a long time. And I think this current environment today really emphasizes the need for that. And, but I think everybody knows that that is so, so important. And, you know, the other thing I really talk about is there's a difference to growing your business for growth and growing your business to sell. And if all you do, and it, and it really does take two to three years between making the decision to sell and really being ready to sell. I remember when I sold my last company, my second company in 2013, I had my cloud infrastructure practice and I met with an analyst and he kind of gave me all the metrics that I needed, which I had not heard prior to that conversation. And it really took me two to three years to get to that point where I met those metrics. And I knew if I met those metrics, that that would allow me to fetch top dollar. And I already had a strong reoccurring revenue business. My, my business already at that point was 98% reoccurring revenue. But when I sold my business wow. and I had my management team in place, I had my processes and procedures in place, I mean, I, I was able to fetch an all cash deal and walk out the door 45 days later. But it took me three years to prepare and plan for that. And so one of the things that I really talked to MSPs about it it is look, let's say for example, you're a three or $5 million company and all you do year over year is increase your recurring revenue and not increase your sales. Meaning if you were $5 million last year and you're still $5 million this year, but now your recurring revenue is increased by 5%, you've done way more for your company valuation than had you increased your sales overall by 5%. Does that make sense?
0: Definitely, that makes total sense and it's uh it's music to my ears that you're putting in those uh in those terms because it's exactly right um, so yeah the
1: the one other other myth that I kind of like to dispel is this concept of everybody needing to be on a three year contract, and mm-hmm. I think that was probably true a number of years ago, but now buyers don't want to be um they don't want to have that much at risk. They don't want to be connected or have to be connected to somebody for that long. And so one of the things that I realized as I was going through my own sale was as long as your customers are on an annual contract and that annual contract is evergreen as in it renews, I think your buyer will be just as fine with that as if you had somebody on a three-year contract. Because here's the thing, it's so much easier to pitch a one-year contract with, let's say, a 90-day out clause in the beginning than it is a three-year contract, right? I mean, customers Mm -hmm. don't want the risk. We don't know what's ahead in in these days in this path. And so we want to take as much risk off the table for the customers possible. And you know what? The reality is, if they're happy with you, they're not going to leave. They're not gonna leave. You don't need a three-year contract to make them stay. They will stay with a one year and an evergreen. And if you can show a track record of those customers renewing on that evergreen contract, you're good with that. You don't need to really try to pitch that three-year contract from day one.
0: Yes. As long as you have some sort of contract. It's it's amazing to me sometimes when I, I talk to MSPs and they are, you know, they're looking at potentially selling their business. And you know. Every customer they have is either T&M or they are uh, on a month-to-month agreement. And um, we definitely know buyers definitely want to have some commitment in place um, in that realm. So, Linda, in in terms of some of the biggest challenges that you see MSPs facing when it comes time to sell their business, can you just give us a few that, that come to the top of your head?
1: Sure, I'll, I'll give you the two most common things. First of all, I think most partner organizations, MSPs, and it's not just MSPs, it's far as it's you know, CSPs, People have an unrealistic expectation of the valuation of their company. They don't really know. Like you could, if you're a homeowner today, you can go out on Zillow and find the value of your home any day of the week. You're just a, if you're a car owner, right and you need to sell that car, you can go out on multiple different websites and find out the value of your car. But as an MSP, where do you really go? There, there is really no place that is that specific. I mean yes, there are metrics and multiples for technology service providers, but you and I both know you can't um, use the same multiple for, for an MSP as you would for an ISV they're very different. And so uh, I think first of all is is partner organizations, MSP organizations, truly understanding the value of their organization. And that is one thing that I, I, I did include in the book. Of course, you know, this is the technologist in me. I just couldn't write something. I actually had to have a program to go with it. Right. So I actually mm-hmm. created a tool that does allow all these different types of partner organizations to find out what their current value is. And more importantly, where they're leaving money on the table. So I think that's the first and foremost thing is truly understanding what your value is today. And that this assessment is free. You don't have to pay for it. The results are confidential. It's yours. And we can put a link uh, in the show notes if you'd like, Jim, uh, for your listeners to be able to take that assessment. I think the second most important thing, and I'm gonna bring this home with an example, Right now, I have a deal that I've been working on for over a year, and partially what hung it up and partially why this deal didn't close six, nine months ago was because this bar organization, which was over $70 million in revenue, was still on a cash basis accounting using QuickBooks. And my thought, and again, this is the accountant to me probably, but once you get to that million dollars in revenue, it's really time to step up your game and actually start doing accrual-based accounting. And you can do mm-hmm. that staying on QuickBooks, but you really need to start recording revenue and expenses in the same period. You need to be properly allocating your, um, your, technician costs and payroll up into cost to get sold and not leaving it down below the line so that you're accurately forecasting your gross profit margin. Because what I'm finding is when these partners come time to sell or even making uh, acquisitions, they don't really truly know how much money that company's making because it's all over the board. If you look at the bottom line, one month they're making money, the next month they're not, and it doesn't matter how big you are. And I mean, I was seeing that with my $70 million uh, client, whereas one month they were making money and next month they weren't. And one month their cost of goods sold was greater than their sales. And that was all because they were not timing the billing of the invoice with the expense or the cost associated with the software that they were deploying. So, and, and that's very typical. I see that very, very often that especially since most MSPs are filing their tax returns on a cash basis, they run their books on a mm-hmm. cash basis, but they really need to make that transition. And that million dollar mark is so critical because the longer you wait, the harder it becomes.
0: Well, that's great advice. And Linda, just for those listening right now, can you share where they can find some of the information you, you talked about?
1: Yes, yeah, so if you go to my website, www.rosebizinc.com, you will um, you can click on the tab for the book. You'll see it at the top banner. There's actually a, I just put the book out on Audible. So I now have a sample chapter out there. The first chapter of the book is out there. And um, I think you'll find it fascinating because we're following a fictional character. His name is Robert. And he talks about how he's finally, signing on the dotted line and turning his company over to somebody else and really follows his journey as to how he got there and the four-year long process of you know what he went through to get to that exact point in his life but then the book really talks about the eight value maximizers which you learn about if you take the assessment you can if you buy the book you get the assessment for free but we're going to put a link for your listeners so they can just take the assessment and find out for themselves uh what their what their company value is today
0: that's fantastic and definitely you've provided us with a unique perspective on msp MA today so really appreciate your time and your wisdom and uh your willingness to come on so uh best of luck with the book definitely keep us posted uh on your new initiatives as well and uh I know that there's a lot of MSPs out there listening to this podcast right now that are going to benefit a lot from the information you shared today.
1: Well, I certainly hope so, Jim. It's um, sometimes really good, uh, very from the heart, and having been in, in that role, information sometimes hard to find, so I'm always happy to share it.
0: Fantastic. Thanks so much, Linda. Thank you, Jim. Okay. Take care.